hear God's word to you this morning. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've heard it one times, I've literally heard it hundreds of times without exaggeration. If only this celebrity, or if only this senator, or if only this sports figure, you starting to follow the thread here? Fill in the blank? Would become a Christian, what an impact they'd have for Christ in the world. You ever hear that? Boy, if we could just get them saved, then God could actually do something. And I can't help but say, really? Like, have you ever read the Bible <laughs> at all? What kind of people, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, I ask it all the time, did God use in the past to further his kingdom purposes throughout history? Did you ever take a look at the kind of people? I'm going to pick just two from the Old Testament because we could be here a very long time. And the first one is literally the greatest figure other than God in the Old Testament was a man called Moses. Who doesn't know Moses? Even rank unbelievers heard the name Moses. And uh, this is going to be a greatest hit sermon, by the way. So I'm going to be quoting from quotes that you've heard a million times. And that's okay. Like, I have greatest hits albums. I listen to them over and over again. So don't say, like, my mom used to repeat stories. And Mike would say, really? But it's like, you know, now we want to hear them. Right, Mike? I'd love to hear those stories again. This is from D.L. Moody. He put this succinctly so we could save some time here. He says this. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God could do with a nobody. The life of Moses, in a nutshell. And I got one other one. You don't hear about him as much, but just as powerful. His name was Gideon. And when I, uh, God had called Gideon to lead the Israelites to victory over the Midianites, uh, powerful people compared to the Israelites. And it's so, uh, the, the irony is God approaches him when I think he was threshing hay or something or, or, or wheat. And uh, he comes up to him and says, mighty warrior. <laughs> you know, kind of a little bit of a, God has a sense of humor type of thing. And he calls him, he says, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And let me tell you what Gideon says. He says, this is in Judges 6, beginning of verse 15. But Lord, how can I save Israel? Listen to these words. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, and this is an important answer. I will be with you. 
and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Remember Jesus' great commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command you. Gee, that's not a, a, big, ta a big ask. Until you hear the last line. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, we're human, we're frail, we're weak. We can't be with each other till the end of the age. Jesus can, and he will, if you're trusting in him this morning. Then Gideon, later on, this is a fun story, later on, Gideon marshals like over 20,000 troops, and he's still worried, man, are we going to have enough? And God says, we got a problem. And Gideon's like, I know, only 20,000 against them? You know what God says? you got too many. It ends up being whittled down to 300 people. And God says, okay, now we're ready. Now why would God do such a thing? Poor Gideon, right? Well, God tells him, Judges 7-2, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Now, I just did a, a quick uh, think through some of the people God used. Midwives. Concubines. Widows. Not the most powerful in our society. Fishermen. Tax collectors. Farmers. Shepherds. Carpenters. I think we're seeing the pattern. Here's the point. The kingdom of God does not advance through worldly power. Not through worldly influence, not through worldly pedigree or your family tree, or through human wisdom. It advances by God's power displayed through weakness. That's right, you heard me right. Martin Luther liked to say, real Christian, true Christian biblical theology is not a theology of glory. It's a theology of the cross. Yet even in the church, we failed to grasp that message, even not just with our minds, but certainly deep in our hearts. We glorify what? Christian celebrities? Christian, even pastors? That's what was going on in Corinth. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. And, and Paul was like, seriously? What's wrong with you? So we follow Christian celebrities, Christian pastors, Christian singers, Christian athletes, Christian CEOs, you know, fill in the blank. And in many cases, why do we do that? Because we want approval from the very world that will never be impressed with a crucified Messiah. We want approval from the very people that hate our Lord Jesus Christ and everything he stands for. That's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's what? The power of God. So for my last message, I only have two points this morning. You'll be happy to know. Uh, for my last message here, at least for a while, 
I just want to take a couple minutes to proclaim this message from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31. And this is the simple message. It's a great message. The gospel of Jesus humbles man and it exalts God. And this is great news for you and it's great news for me. That's all we're going to look at real quick. So we're going to take a look at the first point. The gospel of Jesus Christ, God's only message is salvation. It humbles man. I'm going to read again verses 26 to 28 just to get the gist of it. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You know, we wear crosses, we make them gold and silver, we put them on our cathedral. You know, it's a beautiful thing. The cross was repugnant. It had to do with execution of criminals. It was a gory, bloody thing. And it was through God's weakness that was stronger than man's strength. He conquered sin and death and hell. Amen? What Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, the early Corinthian church here, he's saying, look around. <laughs> we could do that this morning if we want. Just look at those who God chose to belong to himself. You know, when I choose a guitar, let's talk about that for a minute. I want the perfect smooth frets. I want these diverse pickups that make the right sounds. I, I want the, the binding to be perfect, this to be perfect, that has to be perfectly in tune. Praise God he doesn't pick us like that. Because I want to tell you something, you ain't perfectly in tune. Certainly not with God's will and with his word. Because to be perfectly in tune would be obeying the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength every second, second of every minute, of every hour. Every day, you get me? But I think it's important to see something. He says, there's not a lot of you from nobility. Not too many wise, according to the world's measuring stick. Not a bunch of, bunch of societal influencers. Not a bunch of shaker and movers. But notice what he doesn't say, not any are you with me here? He doesn't say not any. He just says not many. Because God's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you humbly repent and believe in him, he will take you. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. But he does say not many are noble. And he tells us why God in his sovereign grace chooses mostly nobodies to belong to Jesus. He does it to shame the wise of the world who think they know something when they know nothing. He does it to shame the strong, to nullify the things that are. In other words, to shame the somebodies of this world. They think they're somebody, but if they don't have Jesus, they're, they're really nobody, according to God's standards. And again, why would God do such a thing? Well, just like he told Gideon thousands of years ago, he repeats it in Corinthians, so that no one may boast before him. Let's get, I want to get this. This was the first time I actually saw this. And I've been walking with Jesus since 1986. Um, 
You know how people will say, they'll mock the church of Jesus because they'll say, look at a bunch of, you know, a bunch of nobodies you all are. And do you ever notice they'll say things like, notice mostly most people in the church are uneducated, they're weak, they're powerless in society, and they become Bible-believing Christians. And what they mean by that is, look, it's only the uneducated, uninformed, socially awkward people that get sucked in by Bible-believing Christianity. You with me? It's a crutch. You ever hear that one? But this is the first time I recognize this. God himself gives us a very different reason why we're such a motley bunch. Why, why Mary calls us the misfit fellowship. And he says in his word, because God designed it this way so that no flesh could boast before him. The fact that anything gets done in the world by this hot mess of a church of Jesus Christ is literally by the grace of God. Literally. This is how Jesus prayed in Matthew eleven twenty five, Just to show you, Paul was on the right track here. Jesus says this, prayed this to the Father. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. That's the good pleasure of God. Delight in it. Especially if you're like me, a nobody. Praise the Lord. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, used to be a slave trader, repented of it, and uh, worked toward uh, uh, ending slavery in England. He says this, They are the happiest Christians who have the lowest thoughts of themselves and in whose eyes Jesus is the most glorious and precious. I found that in my life to be 100% true. With no exception. So the first point, the gospel humbles man. The second point and the last point this morning is that the gospel of Jesus Christ glorifies God. Look at verse 30. <laughs> I don't know how people miss this. I hate arguing about it. It's just so clear. It, the Bible teaches it. It is because of him, that's God, the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus. So think about it. The credit goes to whom the credit is due. It's not your wealth or your lack of wealth, by the way. It's not your worldly wisdom, your influence, your popularity, your good looks, your power. But rather the power of God's amazing grace that saves sinners through the message of Christ crucified, the weakness of God, which is stronger than man's strength. So here, here this really hit me. If you look at the cross and the one who died there and you see the pearl of great price. If you see the one dying between two common criminals and recognize he's the most beautiful person this world has ever known. If you gaze upon the Lamb of God who was slain and you find him to be the most precious gift ever given to undeserving, unworthy sinners then you have only a mighty God who saves by his grace to thank. That's what Paul is saying. Because, as Paul says, Jesus has become for, for, for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So listen, Church of Jesus Christ, we can brag. We're allowed to brag. But it's not about ourselves. 
It's about our awesome, incredible, glorious God who saves by his grace. Thank God he doesn't give us our deservings. And the last thing I want to point out is this really is good news. God saves nobodies. God works through nobodies. He spreads his kingdom reign through nobodies. We don't have to model the world and copy the world and use their weapons. It's incredible news for the majority of us here, but I want to say this. It's also incredible news for the somebodies of the world. Let me tell you why. They can come to Christ by faith if they would but humble themselves and trust in and identify with the crucified risen one and the church he purchased with his own blood. You know, it's this whole idea, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Well, you got a problem. Because you tell me you love me, you don't love my wife, I got an issue. And I know that's how Jesus feels about his church. Because when Paul, before Saul, before he came Paul, he was persecuting Christians. You remember what Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute, not the church, me? So that's right. The church is the bride of Jesus. She's not what she's going to be, but someday God's going to glorify her. And every wedding you see where the bride comes down, oh, how beautiful. That's how Jesus' church is going to look. Radiant. So the issue is, will you identify him and her here and now? So you'll be a part of that bride there and then. Figure we were on Moses. I'll give you another example from Moses. You've got to understand, Moses was a somebody at first. Did you know that? He was the prince of Egypt. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures and treasures of Egypt for a short and of sin for a short time. So if you're somebody in the world's eyes, become a nobody for Jesus. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. And then Paul himself, he said, I consider all my pedigree, all my religious performance, and this is him, not me, as dumb compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And the all things Paul means is his good stuff. All those works, I throw them away so that I can be found in Jesus and not have a righteousness of my own, but one that comes by faith in him. See, here's the thing. What did Moses get for this? What did Paul get for this? They get to truly, deeply, and intimately know God. Now listen to me. The true, the infinite, the holy, the righteous, the all-wise and all-powerful God of all creation, they could say, I have known him. And I have walked with him. And he has accomplished his holy will through my broken life. We have this treasure, beautiful treasure, in jars of clay. J.I. Packer tells the story, Knowing God, we read that book as in, uh, in the early days, 2009, 2010, when we first started the church. It was such a blessing to us. He tells the story of a man who said this. He says, this is what uh, J.I. says. I walked in the sunshine with a scholar who had effectively forfeited his prospects of academic advancement by clashing with the church dignitaries over the gospel of grace. But this is what that gentleman said as a testimony. 
but it doesn't matter, he said at length, for I've known God and they haven't. I was wondering what my most quoted hymn was, and it's one that I didn't expect. You, know, you look back at all your sermons. I get sentimental too. I know Sean looked back at our early sermon. I do that all the time. But it's another song written by uh, John Newton. And the line that, uh, that always hits me is this. Savior, if of Zion City, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldly's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. I'm almost done here this morning. Stick me in the last two minutes. I figure I quote so much from C.S. Lewis, for those of you who know me. How could I not quote from C.S. Lewis in my last sermon? One of the greatest minds and talents in the area of English literature and writing in modern times, and non-Christian people will admit that. And yet he wrote these wonderful words about nobody's in the church of Jesus, that God chose to be a special people. Now listen, this is him. This is his testimony. He said, when I, was first, when I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to the churches and gospel halls. And then later, I found that it was the only way of flying your flag. And of course, I found that this meant being a target. It's extraordinary how inconvenient to your family it becomes for you to get up early to go to church. I like this. It doesn't matter so much if you get up early for anything else. But if you get up early to go to church, it's very selfish of you. And you upset the house. If there's anything in the New Testament which is in the nature of a command, it is that you are obliged to take the sacrament and you can't do it without going to church. Now here's the part I like. I disliked very much their hymns, which I consider to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just six-rate music, he had to dig that back in, were nevertheless being sung, sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. Now, I don't know the future of New City Fellowship, Atlantic City. I don't know what the Lord has in store for Mary and I when we go and do gospel ministry in Salerno, but I do know the one who knows. And I commend him, commend you into his hands. Corey Ten Boom once said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, when we look out at AC, Atlantic City, we see crushing needs. We see lots of lonely people. We see the broken lives and broken families. And to be honest, sometimes it seems hopeless. Doesn't it? But I hope in such times, if you listen real closely, you strain your ears, you might hear, even with a, a, a very faint echo, old Pastor Santo's voice. 
singing out with all that's in him, we can never see what the future may bring. So what? Keep looking up to Christ our Savior, to Christ our Lord. Remember, if you miss me from shouting down here and you can't find me nowhere, come on up to Mount Zion. Because I'm going to be shouting Jesus' name up there. This isn't goodbye. I'll see you later. To those in the family of Christ. And that's only, it's not due to anything we've done to earn a place at God's table. But it's because Christ has paid our ransom. And I want to close with this. Once heard this illustration, said, let's not talk about our desserts, what we deserve, because on the floor of hell is written, deserved. But in the gates of heaven, free gift of God's grace. I hope you put all your trust, all your hope, all your confidence in that free gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died to call not the righteous, but sinners like you and like me to repentance. Thank you all for coming. I love every single one of you here. And I'm honored that you showed up uh, this morning. And I pray for God's richest blessing upon you. Let's pray. Father, you know more than anybody else. That's all I have to give is you. And it's not from me. It's from you. I point everyone here, including myself to the finished work of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose the weak, the foolish, the things that are not. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that as weak as we are, these jars of clay, that you would shine through us and people would see your power, your glory, your grace, your forgiveness. And that, Lord, they would turn from their sins, which drag them down. And they would receive your free gift, which lifts them up. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.